Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, this is a podcast. My, it's My Good Bad Brain. And <laughs> I'm going to do this little thing that I've heard on other podcasts that's kind of nice, I think, I, where they read a review of the podcast someone else left. Uh, uh, because I don't know. It's just nice. It's if, if you, what I'm trying to say is if you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash my good, bad brain. If you get something out of it. And if you don't have money to throw at it, just leave a review. Cause these reviews are really nice. This one, uh, was from, uh, Jamie is a crybaby, which is <laughs> a really funny name. Uh, they gave me a five-star review. Hell yeah. Thank you. And they, they said MGBB so important. Can't express enough how important this podcast is. I don't have enough fingers to count how many times Jarrett has made me feel comfort in times when nobody else is around to understand or listen. I wish every episode that I could have a friend like him to talk to a million times. Thank you. And I don't know. That feels weird. I'm not good at self-promotion. Uh, but <laughs> kind of the point of this episode is uh, going to be around that, that it is reviews and people like that that have made me want to keep doing this because I think whatever this podcast has been for that person, uh, people out there have been for me and both people who write reviews like that and in my real life, just feeling that validation and that play, place to hang out and be okay with whatever fucked up thing your brain is doing to you. So thank you for that review. If you like the podcast, if you get something out of it, please, uh, leave us a review or throw a couple bucks at it at patreon.com slash my good bad brain. Plenty of preamble all done on with the show. Thank you. Welcome to my good bad brain. I'm a normal person. So I'm insane. I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better since I medicated me. Still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is beautiful Hi everyone, this is exciting, this is the, the 50th episode of My Good Bad Brain, which is wild 50. Damn. That's it. That's almost a year. I guess we'll be at, well, soon it'll be, more, yeah, 50. <laughs> um, I did not plan this to be on the 50th episode, but I'm really happy it worked out that way. It makes it feel rather cosmic, I guess, this little aspect of whatever, but 
This is the first of, uh, I guess maybe I'm calling it our good bad brain. Uh, I've been, you know, this pod goes through a lot of forms, I guess. It finds itself. It's an organic thing. It defines its own vision, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But always around that idea of self-expression and validation about ideas of mental health. Uh, attempts at being better, existential crises, being a person, just all of that weirdness of like what this is, and uh, yeah, especially in the in the in the realm of mental health and diagnoses and medications and whatnot. And the best part of it has been you guys has been messages I get from y'all or just the little mini invisible network when I get to hear from people that feel connected to my brain and each other's and that there's some resonant validating experience here about what we all go through trying to be better versions of ourselves or just trying to be ourselves or just trying to be you know and uh so when this idea popped up a little bit ago to basically try to talk to some of y'all see if see if some of you wanted to share your stories on my good bad brain um I got excited about it and I and one thing led to another and this is the first one. Our first guest, one of you is uh Lindsay Cromwell. And Lindsay, I just kind of went chronologically. I have I don't think I missed the other ones, but I have I have a little mini pile of emails in uh the my good bad brain if you want to if you hear this and think you'd like to be added to the list, my good bad brain at gmail.com. Um uh, I just went with the first one. I don't think it'll always be chronological or anything like that, but I picked her being first and I read hers cause it was first and, and it was just so human. It was like any of us, you know, she's had some tough things go on in her life sort of, uh, recently, um, in the last few years, you know, she's in her twenties and she's in the Netherlands right now. And I don't want to go into too much about her her backstory because we talk about all of it it's just like any other good bad brain episode but instead of being with somebody who i know very personally or someone who's in the semi-public eye of the internet or something like that this is just a listener someone who's self-selected which i think is so rad like there's some bravery in that i think to be willing to share and there's a lot of like honor in that i think there's a lot of generosity of spirit to come and talk openly and um i guess there's a quality i mean you know i've been to 12 step meetings before and it just helps these venues where we can go up and speak and be heard and also i don't know i hope it matters to her and to other people out there that when i hear other people speak it makes a big difference to me too so i think that's a huge part of it and i'm just super pumped that we finally got it together and that this our 50th episode will start this new thing of talking to some of you listeners, uh, as we move forward, I'm, I'm really excited to continue that. I'll probably still talk to random people that I know or ask to be on the show. I'll keep doing brain breathers where I'm alone. I think I'm actually going to do one today also. Um, cause last week's was a weird one and I want to talk about that. So I'm not going to get too into that, but about the mood swinging kind of that I've been going through and that feeling like a ghost thing and just the weirdness of all of it. But uh, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk too much in front of this. We just have a nice long normal talk. Um, 
in advance, I'll say there's some stuff about um, just death, dealing with deaths in the family. Um, uh, her grandmother and her mother uh, were they passed away, and there's just a lot going on in her family. She's uh, kind of an amazing person. She's like, uh, I don't know. I'm going to let her speak for herself. You'll learn as I learn. Um, I was also psyched that she wanted to talk about Basically, you know, she's been on depression for medication for uh, depression, anxiety, rather. And uh, she wanted to say specifically, she said in her email that um, as a black woman, that there's like a lack of conversation around mental health in the African-American community. And so I think that was cool, too, to like just highlight that aspect of it and uh, get into that a little bit. And uh, I hope you enjoy our conversation. I really did. I kind of feel like this might be the thing, my good, bad brain always wanted to be and uh i look forward to doing many more of these and i hope that these these uh kick ass you know i think that they'll be i don't know really really rad things um lindsay thank you for doing this i hope you got something out of it i hope you all enjoy listening to us speak and you find something that resonates and helps you um and you just um yeah she's got this really interesting story and how she's coping with it and uh man when she talks about how she ended up in the netherlands that is a go get em strategy for trying to, to fix your own experience of your own brain. It's pretty rad. Uh, all right. So without further ado, thank you very much for joining uh, me and then Lindsay Cromwell, the, the wonderful Lindsay Cromwell, as we uh, discuss our good, bad brain. Hello? Is this the right? Yeah. And then we'll both clap on. Mm-hmm. All right. One. All right. Great. Um, hi. Nice to meet you. Thank yeah. you for doing this. <laughs> nice to meet you. Um. So yeah, I guess we could if we start. Um, as if I knew absolutely nothing about you. Would you tell me? Would you introduce yourself and tell me how you found my good bad brain and why you wanted to do this? Sure. So my name is Lindsay Cromwell. Um, I found out about Good Bad Brain just by asking for podcast suggestions in my friend group, and it was suggested. Um, And yeah, I've had an interesting couple of years, or a year and a half, and I just have been working through it and talking to a lot of people about it. And the more I talk about it, the better it's becoming to manage. And I think this is a really good opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, that rules. That makes it I'm psyched to hear that uh somebody's out there recommending my good brain too. That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um well uh yeah I think that's absolutely right uh from my from my experience just talking to people and that's the whole i guess reason to keep doing this thing um where are you now you said because you're overseas so how did that end up happening uh yeah so i'm in the netherlands actually um i i've always wanted to travel Mm -hmm. um and i ended up moving to help out with family and that kind of put a pin in that idea So when everything happened, when I, when I lost everyone, 
in the way it happened, it was almost just like the opportunity just was like, well, what do you do now? Like you literally can do whatever you want. And for me, that answer was shave your head and move across the world. So I did that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's very like, uh, like Kung Fu, the legend continues, you know, like go traveling, become a monk. (laughs) That's awesome. Just do what you got to do. yeah, you said in that first thing, I uh, you go, I had an interesting couple of years. And even that struck me. I was like, it's funny that we do naturally say, it's been, I've been having an interesting time. Like, that's the polite way to say, like, things have been hard. <laughs> um, things have just been kind of, a shit show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, I. it's sort of, uh, I don't know, it's an interesting, like, polite reframing that's actually... Not that bad when you're like, well, yeah, yeah, it's kind of nice to say like it's interesting. Uh, and, and in a lot of ways, like, I don't know that even that like little accidental language trick kind of is like a nice way to be like, things are fucking horrible. It's just like, well, they're interesting, <laughs> you know, they're also, interesting. Like, they're, I've, I've had to do some yeah. thinking. Well, tell me about that, if you don't mind. Let's just jump into it. I mean, this is also, I'll just say again, I said this before when we were talking and recording it, but um, I'm super pumped. You're, I think this is actually the 50th episode, which is kind of a neat coincidence. I didn't realize that's like a nice milestone, 50, and we're going to start this new experiment, um, which I think is like, yeah, I'm super grateful that you were, I think, first on the list of like i just went in chronological and i of who like reached out first and um yeah i don't know i'm just i just thought i'd say that just honor this little moment of like i'm excited to try this new thing with people i really don't know because my good brain has been a lot of times with people i do know and uh I, i think this is like there's something we share by all like going through it together mm-hmm. and uh i really think that and i really i really have i don't know i'm excited to sort of prove out that theory maybe because when i talk to people that i know personally already or i you know some reason i'm like hey you want to come be on my thing maybe it'll be an interesting talk that's that's fine and cool but like this is like we've never talked we've had like a couple emails you give me a little bit of your backstory but right. honestly i didn't try to like remember it or anything i just was like well let's just talk and see what happens so yeah let's start with uh at your leisure where what what do you want to talk about like what what's what's those interesting years been like Like, what started (laughs) and that ended with like doing this odd little group art project for our for our minds right right so i guess it, it started with me moving from connecticut to north carolina um where my mother grandmother sister and nieces were living at the time. Um, And my mother's health was declining. And my sister got pregnant. And they were both taking care of my elderly grandmother. So I was like, Oh, I'm I'm coming, you know, I'll be there kind of thing without a how how old were you when that happened when that all? Um, 24 23 24 okay yeah so that's a big change that's like kind of a interesting time to change because that's like a real transitional phase often when you're you know you've gone and been on your own now like you've started to find your adult self in your life and then 
I think like mid twenties is like a tough one. I always, I really think the, that rock star age of 27, that, that, you know, legendary, that's when rock stars all die is when they're 27. I do think there's some hump at 27. Mm-hmm. That's like really challenging. So that's it. So you're 24. How big a family? What's your family like? How many siblings do you have? In oh, um, so we're all super close. Um, mm-hmm. I have a biological older brother and sister. Um, my older brother is 10 years older than me. He's more like a father to me. I yeah. like slept in his bed until I was like 10. Just <laughs> the worst kind of clingy little sister. But yeah. That's yeah. That res. I really, that's so interesting. I mean, cause, mm. uh, what's it when you said you have stepsisters or brothers too? Yeah. 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 So you're like this mixed family, which man, I really, that's interesting synchronicity. Um, and that, that, that 10 year gap, my youngest brother's nine. And, uh, it, that's how me and my other siblings were like right in a row within three years. It was like year and a half, year and a half. Um, we kind of feel that more about him too. Now that he's older, it starts to like shift a little, but I don't, I don't think it ever will completely. Like there's an, there's a quality of like, just cause when things started getting weird in our family, like really weird he was only like three or four and Mm -hmm. we we were all kind of like formed personalities already Mm -hmm. and it really felt like those next years is like you do a lot of parenting of your siblings and you really form these different kinds of kinds of bonds okay so you guys are really close and then a lot of stuff happens at once that like were you guys spread out at that point or were you the only one who had gone away are you from you said north carolina that's where you went back to yeah so we're we're from connecticut but my mother and all of them moved to North Carolina right after yeah. I graduated high school. She just, she wanted okay, to move gotcha. somewhere warm. Um, so yeah, at that time it was my sister and I down there. My sister had gotten married, got pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. so it was, my sister and I were really taking on the brunt of most of the work, the doctor's appointments, the rushed calls to wherever, because something crazy was happening. Like yeah. all of that, my sister and I kind of handled um, which which definitely strengthened our relationship, um, but it's interesting the whole parenting your younger siblings thing because now that my mom is gone, there have just been times where I've gone to my older siblings for like advice or yeah. things like that, and it's just not the same, and it's so frustrating. It's frustrating mm. because it's like, you know, there's just a way that moms say things. And yeah. it's just that way and no one else can, no one else can do that. And it's, it's changed our relationship in a way. Um, I, mm. although we're still very close and we're still right there for each other whenever, it's just so different now. What do you, what, um, do you think like, do you think moms have like a different way of saying things or like we have a different way of receiving things from our moms? Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, there's this thing I think about a lot that I don't know. They, somebody said it in, in when I was a kid, I, I don't think they even said it at Sunday school. I don't know who said it, but they said like uh, Jesus was never a prophet in his hometown. Like there, he's just like the carpenter's kid, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about mm-hmm. this because, you know, my, my mom does these like silent retreats and she's, she knows some of these like guru types. And so my brothers and I, we like talk about them sometimes. And for us to some degree, I, I was like, I was always like, Oh, this guy he's just a guy like he's mm-hmm. definitely just a person um mm-hmm. but but i think it's like important for us to allow certain people to be like that's the priest that's the 
you know and then like the mom is like somebody who's who made us or who you know who yeah i'll just leave it at that made us even if they yeah. didn't birth you they like make you they're right they're helping you and nurturing you so like there's something that we are able we're like able to receive from them you know what i mean we're Not open to it probably, we're open to it yeah yeah, yeah, we, but then we want like, to receive whatever they're giving us. We trust them. Yeah. What was no. you you said um uh, can you give me like um I don't know, it just felt like maybe there was a specific uh memory behind that. You were saying like one of the hardships about like the calls and the hospital stuff with your with your sister. Like you've moved back home to help out with everything going on. Like do you, is there something that like comes to mind specifically about that as an example of just like one of those just one of those days, you know, one of those things that you're like, wow, this is what we're doing now. This is what life is at this moment. And it's not the easiest, you know? Yeah. I think, God, there were so many, there were just so many times where everything was just chaotic. There were calls is because at one point my grandmother's health got so bad that we could no longer take care of her and she had to go into a home. And if, you know, you know anything about nursing homes, they don't always give the best care. So right. there are times where we've had to rush in and, and be an advocate because that's that's really what you need. If you have someone going into a home, you have to have good family advocacy. So times where it's like, no, she likes things this way. No, we said leave her radio on because that is what she needs. So yeah. although it's not that big of a deal, when my sister calls me and says, oh, yeah, the radio was off again today when I went up there, you know, now I have to go to the, the head nurse and now it has to be a thing. And um, yeah, there are times where someone it's was a, having to get CPR or. Like in the, the in the nursing facility. Yeah. So yeah. the the time. There were times where my grandmother was rushed to the hospital from the nursing home. And immediately my thought process was, this is it. This is the end. This is so I have all of those emotions running towards me as I'm driving to the hospital or getting to where she is. And there will be times I walk in the room and she's just like, hey, and it's like, yeah. oh, God. <laughs> and that, yeah. that happened so many times. Um, yeah. throughout that time period in my life. Yeah. So that's a very surreal thing. You're like constantly on this high alert. And I totally know what you mean about those small details about the the radio thing. Cause it's like, it's just a little thing until you're like, oh, you're really not listening. Like you're right. really not caring individually about these people. So it creates like a really destabilizing sort of feeling to the whole situation like you can't relax because there's no one else watching right and you you lose a little bit of control when your family member goes into a nursing home you know yeah. you can no longer just check on them the same way as you could when they were in your house so and you just try to have that same amount of comfort that you would provide yeah. And as far as I've known my entire life, I'm 26. My grandmother always had music playing. Always. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that would happen, you know, way before I was born. So if this is something that she's accustomed to, we need to make yeah. it happen. So it was like yeah. 
the only thing, one of the only things that we could control. And that's why it held so much weight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what what was going on? So what were you doing in Connecticut before? Because you, how old are you now? Like, how long did this? I'm trying to get a sense of like this timeline of like, yeah. and sort of the shape of what your life is, and then what this change is, and then what those changes result in that brings you to where you are now. You know. Right. So. When my family moved, I was living, I was in a relationship and I was living with that guy in Connecticut. He, he ended up moving with me to North Carolina. Mm. Didn't work. That's a whole nother story. But, um, but it's definitely part of that story. Oh, oh, it's, it's so a part of the story. (laughs) Um, when you moved to North Carolina, did you, uh, so what, well, let me actually stay in Connecticut for a minute. What were you doing in Connecticut at the time? In Connecticut, I was working towards finishing up my EMT certification. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I had actually just gotten like my dream job a month before I had to move down. And that what was, was the dream job. Um, it was just it was just working at one of the local ambulance companies and it mm-hmm. it wasn't anything huge, but it was something I would drive by it every day as I was nannying and going to yeah. school to become an EMT. It's like I would drive by it every day like one day i'm gonna be there one day i'm gonna do this um so when i got it it was just like it was an amazing feeling to finally get in there um was the becoming an emt was that like you know there's two different kinds of uh well there's probably a million different but broadly speaking generalizing i'll just say you like there's jobs where you're like oh this is this resonates with me this is what i really want to be doing and blah 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 that kind of a thing or and then there's jobs that you're like this seems like a good idea I'd be good at this I can do this mm-hmm. which which more which direction was this this EMT uh thing for you Oh it was definitely a this resonates with me I need yeah. to do this job um my mother was in a wheelchair my entire life I think mm-hmm. she was 25 26 when she lost mm-hmm. the use of her legs completely um wow. yeah with with two small children at the time so i can imagine Holy smokes what her life was at that point but um i say that to say that helping was just second nature to me you know whether yeah. i was lifting her up over a curb or reaching something she couldn't reach it's just right it's just what i do yeah so was um do you mind if i ask like was your dad around at all with the, with that stuff um, my dad was in and out of my life until yeah. I was about eight or nine, I believe. And then it was just, I didn't see him anymore at all. And even when you were a little kid, you said in and out. So him and your mom weren't like, he wasn't there, like doing the cabinet no. and stuff. No, yeah. no. Gotcha. He would come hang out with us sometimes. And, I, and I'm sure they had a relationship at some point where like, you know, when they were together that he was more helpful mm. or what have you, but my memories of him are strictly just playing with us, maybe taking us out to the park every once in a while kind yeah. of thing. Well, especially like if your mom's 26 with a couple of kids already, she's also like a young mom. And that's like, I don't know, my, I had a young mom and it took me a long time to realize like, you're really, uh, the, the, you're kind of counter parenting, <laughs> you know, each other. 
like because mm. you're growing together like when i think about i'm sure you feel this way too like when i think about i mean i'm 33 and i if i think about it, if i had four kids like my parents had at this time in their life it'd just be such a different different life oh, you yeah. know oh, but yeah. you you really do uh i i think i resented some of it when i was younger like things that my mom i was like why couldn't she just be more of like a, a normal you know like a mom who's like always momming um but you realize later like i'm sure you had this experience like you very evidently just even in your scrum like like you create this odd bond where like they're your parent, but you're also parenting them. You need them for a million reasons, mm-hmm. but they also really need you. Mm-hmm. And so it creates like strong bonds, but also really strong like intertwining, you know? Yeah. What yeah. Was, what was that like for you? She had more of that with my older siblings, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. my older brother she had when she was 18 or 19 something Mm. like that so they definitely had more of the raising each other type of relationship um and then my older sister is four years younger than him Mm -hmm. um and then by the time i came along i was really just their their baby alive i was just their baby doll that they could play with so i didn't really have (laughs) to do anything or have any responsibility or they that's fair probably not as much i guess but i don't know it's i think i mean i didn't expect that but it's of like of course it's like when when you say i mean you still like it put you on this path where like what you want to do is be an emt or like yeah. what you want to do professionally is like well what i do is help people out and try to take care of people and and i think also another thing about like people who go towards medical care especially on that like basic level like we're not talking about some like surgeon who comes in and does a thing and goes away like you know we're talking about for the mundane stuff reaching reaching things from the shelf it's like i don't know there's something um people don't talk much about like the awkwardness of of that like how intimate and like in a you know in a not um particularly romantic seeming i'd still think very quite poetic but like Mm. It's I don't know. My mom had like a weird surgery thing like last year and uh, complication and just trying, you know, you just got to help them with the most basic stuff. And it's very like sometimes some people will never see their parents in that context. Yeah. So that's just why I think even even if you've like, you know, m- didn't like missed the really young years of her and, and she kind of had worked her rhythms out by the time you came along. Still, I mean, that's that's a lot. That's like a it's a very core to i would imagine how your identity forms oh yeah definitely definitely i I couldn't imagine a life where i wasn't helping in some way um i feel very uncomfortable when i'm not oh keep going sorry no no i'm just saying i I've, i've noticed that even just in my everyday if i'm not doing something to help in some way it feels weird and it sounds super cheesy to say that like yeah okay you're such a great person you know but truly no i I think it's it does create an interesting um because it's like i've been thinking about this a lot with like hmm, how do i say this if you grow up on some level living with constant consideration of other people like that's a good thing like that's good it's good to think about other people and be empathetic all that stuff but i i uh i think 
if we don't um if we don't get a chance to like form a sense that like oh no but i am sovereign and i do exist and i matter too as mm-hmm. much as i think other people matter they think i matter and i think i'm allowed to think i matter too and i'm mm-hmm. good and i'm valid and that's all good if you don't get that step part of me thinks like there's parts of us that <laughs> you, oh puppy dog so sorry that's there's no I, there's nothing dog barks they're always welcome um there's like a time comes when you're gonna have to answer that part of you that part of yeah. you is gonna be you know and, and i think sometimes when we grow up quick it's like yeah it feels weird because you're like i oh, know i'm such a good person but like on some level you're like kind of annoyed by it i i feel like mm. and and if not if not exactly of these i'm speaking for myself but like there's um I, I'm hesitating to say like a resentment grows for it, mm. but there's some part of oneself. I think that the way, the reason I was thinking about this was I was thinking like how I've been really, it's been really important to me. And I think in the wider culture, it's been really important to do a lot of validating, like a lot of acknowledging of people's experiences and, you know, honoring their weaknesses, uh, it, it, which, you know, I don't mean to attach moral value to that, but like literal weaknesses, like, things that make it harder for you than other people and mm. things like that necessarily, or, or even let's not even compare to other people, things that just are hard for you to deal with honoring that. Yeah. And, uh, and then I think what I've noticed in myself, and I, I wonder if this is starting to resonate in the larger, uh, the culture at large also, it's like once, once you've validated all that for yourself and gone like, no, like my pain does matter and it is hard to be alive and you no longer feel like you're fighting to be recognized. Like once, once you're, you know, you've kind of gotten your grievances out and had them honored and we all go like, hell yeah. At least personally, I find there's sort of this next step that's like stoicism, which is mm. like start to go like, okay, yes, now that I'm validated, do I want to feel like I'm starting to feel a little like a victim when I only talk about the things uh, that are fucked up with me? Yeah. And, and then you start to move this way of like, I'm going to start. I, yes. Now that I've honored it and I don't have to resent that I am not ever allowed to be weak. I would actually like to be strong. I would like to choose to overcome things that are difficult for myself. But I think part of it is like, if you, and that that's always been traditional patriarchal kind of thing is like mm. just tough through it. But I wonder if it's not the reason the culture at large and, and we're experiencing it is like, because as a child, you don't feel like you get that validation. Mm. You go right to stoicism. Everyone's like, just suck it up right away. Just live for other people. Just help other people. So this part of you later has to go like, wait, don't I matter? Can't I be pudding and I'm still valuable? Can't I like just be loved for no reason? Can I be like honored that way? Mm. And that I think that's a really necessary part to go through the honoring of the self Mm. and like the because if you don't do that it'll always be somewhere in the back of you and like if you don't do that you'll never truly be able to go like okay and now i would like to overcome my impulses and my difficulties you know what i mean like if you're you're demanded to do that second part first without being validated that's anyway that's rambly but no 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 that's a super valid point i i'm I am there. I am in a place, and it's funny that you're saying this because that's what I've been, that's my thing that I've been trying to work on recently. It's like, I no longer want to feel like the victim of these past few years. I no longer want to feel like, oh God, all these bad things happened to me. 
Um, and, and I, I'm struggling, I'm struggling to not feel like that victim anymore. And I think you made a really good point about, um, giving, giving the opportunity to feel it, giving the opportunity to say that, no, it's okay to feel that way and then go past, okay, what am I going to do with those emotions now? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because I I don't know what to do with them. Because I think we still need to talk a little more about like your experiences. I don't mean to jump to that end part yet. No, Uh, no, no. But I do, I do think it's like, that's interesting to hear. Cause I, I don't know. I've been like, even doing this podcast, I go back and forth. Cause I'm like some, some weeks, some days I'm like, you know, sometimes I got to leave therapy because I've gone to too much therapy and I'm like, I'm spending too much time at therapy talking about my problems. I feel like I'm keeping my problems going, you know, by like coming in there when things are starting to be good for months or weeks on end. And you're just like trying to come up with the reasons you feel fucked up still or things you need to work through. Once I feel like I've entered that game, I'm like, wait, why am I, why am I doing that? And, Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes even with this podcast, I'm like, Am I moderating like my mental health check-ins? Like, can they just be check-ins or meditation time as opposed to like, am I just, or am I just talking every week about like trying to find new ways? I'm so fucked up. I feel so broken. And then kind of like perpetuating that feeling. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm always going back and forth between like, what do I need to honor? What's like not feeling attended to? And then what, what do I need to be like a coach to? Like, you know what I mean? Like, do you ever do sports or anything like that? Or have a teacher who was like, believed in you so like they would ask more of you mm, yeah you know what I mean yeah definitely like I have I had the teacher kind of aspect of someone who would yeah just check in and really like ask questions and expect a truthful answer kind of yeah. thing like you weren't able to just brush it off or right yeah I and that like to me there's something if you trust somebody, if you trust that you are loved already, if you trust that you, they do think you're great as you are, then I really value when they're like, I think you can do better than this. You know, I think that you can like pull through this or, or show up for this in a better way. And I, and I feel like almost like that, like I become my own coach where I'm like, and the best versions of it, the worst versions are I just like start talking to myself like such an asshole, you know, I'm like mm. a piece of shit. Mm. And I don't think that's valuable. But I think the other version, if you can be kind and, and expect a lot of yourself, it's like, I don't know, it feels, it feels empowered. That's, that's something I, I know I say this a lot, and I'm sorry if I repeat myself on the podcast, but that, that dialectic between like um, validation and victimhood, I guess, on my own personal talking to myself, and then that feeling of my identity, I'm like, am I strong or am I um, being beaten up you know or or i don't know that's always tough it's hard to to feel that because eventually i'm like i want to allow myself to see myself as a healed person or a stronger person or a healing person or something mm. um yeah i don't know it can be it can be I, you know what i mean like yeah it feels sometimes like you're struggling like you're talking to this thing every day that is yourself and being like are you what are you now are you i don't know yeah strong today or what yeah i i feel like i've been so disconnected from who i am um because i just did a lot of dissociation during all of the traumatic events that 
I, yeah, I've just been, I've been so disconnected. So recently, or upon my move here, I've had just that constant narrative of just like, who are you? Are you this victim of everything that's happened to you? Should you feel like a victim? You know, then I have the the thoughts about like, you're not the only one who went through all of this. Your whole family went through all of this with you. Why do you feel like mm. you're the victim? But then yeah. I have to like, like counter your instinct that is with, to like, yeah, your instinct is to yeah. like invalidate it. Like almost like if, Immediately. You, if you say like, if you, if you invalidate it, maybe you won't have to deal with it. Like if you go like, Hey, who the fuck do you think you are? This right. happened to everyone. Then, Oh, then maybe you get off the hook and there's, you don't have to face your feeling. That's really funny. Right. I've never like noticed that. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's somehow like not a you thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't, it, yeah, I don't know what it's that's like, about. Um, wow. That, that's so I've never thought of it in those terms of like I think because we tell ourselves we're being tough and doing something difficult by being like oh it's not really about you it's not your pain it happened to everybody it happens to everybody so fucking suck it up and then also like let it go and mm-hmm. that in our and you know in the culture and the way we talk about it it sounds like oh you're being tough you're being stoic but really I think there's something in there where you're letting yourself off the hook because this you're just ignoring like a big wound that's like real, you know? Yeah. Like if you if yeah. you have this thing that was difficult for you, that's somehow you still feel stuck there. Or I mean, the, I think the dissociation thing you just just, just mentioned um, is a I mean, I know from the conversations and reading and stuff like that, that it's a certainly a common response to like trauma. But I I. uh I mean, my weird episode this week about feeling like a ghost, which was a really weird one. I don't, I don't know. I think I was having really. I had a psychiatry appointment yesterday, which uh, I think I'm, I think I'm managing my meds poorly and doing some self care things poorly. And wow. you know, but that dissociation is like where is often uh, the first, the first thing I I experience. One, uh, my my girlfriend has said in the past, like she she's freaked out by this thing I say often, where like I don't feel like a person. I'm not sure I exist. I'm like not sure I exist. And that like freaks her out. And I'm always like, how, why would that freak mm. you out? But now I start to understand <laughs> of, all the like, of all the things, yeah. it doesn't sound that bad, but it's like, it totally makes sense when I start to be like, so what does that mean? If you don't think you're a person, does that mean you think things don't matter? Do you think like actions don't mm. have consequences or I don't matter? Or are you going to be here to take it can be care a slippery slope. Or, yeah. It, yeah. The dissociation can be really tough. And maybe that's why it, it becomes so crucial to like, engage with it because on its most basic level if you don't feel like you exist or you matter or everybody goes to this shit so you should just fucking disregard it it wasn't really you it was everybody who went through it like you never i don't know there's something about that dissociation that seems to just grow Mm -hmm. like it might start as like out of sync with your own sense of identity but then it just like starts to touch everything like everything starts to seem not real you know? Oh yeah, it grows into a monster. And I, I was in therapy um, when I was in the States. When everything first happened, I wasn't feeling anything. I was completely removed from it, just going through the motions. And I remember just talking to my therapist like, well, why can't I just do life like this from now on? Like, what do you yeah. mean this is a bad thing? And she's like, because it'll start to touch 
everything, everything in your life will, will just become numb, you know? Yeah. And I, and it did, it totally did it. And it took me a while to be uncomfortable with that numbness because for a while it was just like, fine, great. I don't have to feel anything perfect, Uh. but it eventually became uncomfortable. And I think that's, that was one of the biggest um, factors in my move. I, I felt stuck. I didn't know how to live where I was living anymore. I had no desire to even get up and participate in my own life. So this move somewhere in me knew that I needed to do something extreme to slap myself awake in a way. Yeah. Um, And that's what I've been working on doing is just being more present within myself, allowing myself to feel all the things that I really just pushed down um, or made excuses for. Um, I think I, I said in my email, I talked about my whole mantra of the name of the game being survival. Um, mm. And it was, that was super helpful sometimes um, when I was going through all of my uh, moments where, you know, say I slept in longer than I was supposed to, or I didn't do a homework mm-hmm. assignment. I, I didn't let it pressure me because I was like, you know what? You had a hard year. The name of the game is survival. If you got to sleep in or order a pizza, then you do that. Mm-hmm. But then there are yeah. times where it's like, okay, but you are self-medicating in ways that you know you're not supposed to. Or yeah. you're dealing, you're in a relationship with someone that you know you're not supposed to be in a relationship with because... Mm-hmm you're doing this name of the game, a survival thing. And it, it ended up being something that I had to really check in on because I started to use it as a crutch. Yeah. Yeah. I, that resonates really hard. I mean, I guess that's where I, I I don't know. My dad did this thing that I kind of, uh, I feel, I always interpret it this way. I don't know if he's ever like said this or acknowledged this, but my dad was like kind of this uh, high achieving golden boy kind of thing in his family and then and then in his marriage a little bit. And, you know, as this dad and at some point, I think the pressure was just too great. And he felt perhaps like his only the value he had was like. All external or something, and it seemed almost like he got this like drug problem well he kind of like mental breaks and then drug problem and ended up getting disbarred so he's no longer this like lawyer he's no longer these it was like he stripped away all the external values you know and and he became like unhealthy and just you know everything that's that might appeal externally and it felt like what he was trying to do was see if he was still loved like see if like oh well what if i keep being less and less impressive or less and less and uh and I've started to notice in myself sometimes it, it can be, I don't really, I hate the idea of slippery slopes because I don't really think they're, they're real on some level. Like there's thresholds to everything, you mm. know, that we can't explain that we're like, you know, but. um, I think if you don't check in, with, I think that's my thing with slippery slopes or, or what I imagine it in my yeah. brain is like, if you see yourself getting somewhere and you don't check in. Like if you, if you don't have that willpower to say, okay, maybe I need to take a step back, then that's when it can become 
something more. Well, well, yeah, and I think it's like <sighs> I do think the name of the game of survival is is real, and like you have to be like real with yourself when that's going on. I yeah. think once there's almost like once you're able, there's some quality of like once you're able to check in and go like, do I really want to be doing this behavior that's balming a thing in me? Um, that you're like. Almost like as soon as you're able to ask that conversation is also synchronous with able to go like, and I would prefer to make a better choice. Right. You know? Right. You you go through like a brackish zone of like being able to do the Fiona Apple, you know, well-made mistake thing where you're like, is this the best for me? No. Is it going to be good for me in these other ways that is worth it right now? Yes. Yeah. Fine. But there is, it's funny, like, how quickly, like, once you can even pay attention and go, like, oh, I'm doing self-medicating behaviors. Maybe I should, do I want to? I don't know. That's That's been tough for me. Like, and I, I think that's um why self-care is starting to become, like, this, like, punchline in, in the culture at large, you know? Like, mm. people are just, like, self-care, cause, which is unfortunate to me, because I don't think, I don't know, I, I don't think, um sometimes self-care is simply doing something that feels nice. What it should be is something that like offers care, right? That, like, helps better you, you. Or grow you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so you get this job, this dream job, and then shortly after end up moving to help your fam, which, which makes sense because, I mean, you just said it. Like, you grew up wanting to help people, your dream job to help people. And then, like, the most important people in your life are like, we need help. Let's go. Yeah. 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 What was that? What was that ask or what was that like situation and, and how did it? I don't know. I'm trying to get a sense of like, so you're, you're living with this guy. Like, where did you did you go get your own place down there? Were you suddenly back living with family again? Like, um, what kind of vibe was that? Yeah. So it was me and my boyfriend at the time. We just moved into my mother's guest room. Um, so, and that was an interesting dynamic having been out of the house for a few years. Um, but like I said, we were always really close and we never really had any huge arguments or anything that would make it a, a hostile living situation or super hard to do. It was just an adjustment and I was happy to be back around my family yeah. So that was that was what it initially was that we moved in with them and then it was either 6 months to a year after that that he and I got our own place still in the city um just because the my mother needed a kidney and she had been pushed back on the transplant list so it wasn't wow. so immediate anymore. Yeah. Um so we ended up just staying close but we didn't have to be in the house because she wasn't going yeah. to be having the surgery that in that time frame yeah so you're te- you're caring for your grandmother and your mother during this time yeah 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 wow yeah it was i don't i don't think that i realized how much it stressed me out until i was in the doctor's office getting something for anxiety like it was just like oh yeah this is what i do i'm here to help like yes i'll do this i'll run up and down the stairs a hundred times if you need me to like i i am here to do that 
until yeah. it was just a moment where I was just a constant ball of anxiety and stress and I didn't know how to even function. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's maybe I'll kind of like blend this into the six quick cues. We'll kind of keep those in, involved in here. So like, how did you end up? So you, you, how did you end up in this office, wherever this was and doing this anxiety medication thing? I mean, did you, you know, the first two questions are always like, have you been diagnosed with anything and, and then what have you tried for it? Right. Um, but what was like the precipitating event that got you, like, how did you wind up getting care and where'd you find it and stuff like that? Um, I went to just my primary care doctor after speaking with my best friend at the time. And it was just, I was just having anxiety attacks. I would just be trying to, relax at home in a moment where I, I wasn't needed and I couldn't sit still. I couldn't just, mm -hmm. I wasn't able to turn it off. Um, and I've always had just kind of underlying anxiety type things where it, it might take me a little longer to come back down after an event. Um, but either way, I, I just went to my primary care and spoke to her about it and I don't, it was hard to get on the medication because, um, you know, like I said, being, being an African-American woman, it's just not something that is openly talked about in our community, mental health. It's just, we don't, we're starting to, the younger generation is starting to be more open and let it be known that, hey, having brown skin doesn't make you immune to mental health disorders but um growing up there's no like oh yes you know she had a hard time so she got on medication or you don't hear any stories about anything and it's just oh he's crazy or she's crazy but there was never any diagnosis of of anything so mm -hmm. even being prescribed medicine for anxiety i felt such shame just the shame that came with it and then eventually when I got on medicine for depression, again, just huge amount of this shouldn't be happening to me because mm. I, I'm black. What do you mean? I don't have mental health problems. And wow. that's been a huge thing I've had to overcome. Um, and, and I'm still working through, honestly. Yes, I'll still take my, my medicines as needed, but there's still just like this ingrained wow. guilt in a way. Does that extend to just like non-Medicaid stuff too? Like just therapy and things like that? That kind of, does that cultural like thing, do you feel extend to, to that as well? Or is it mostly just the medication thing? Or like do people seek out therapy that you grew up around? Um, in my experience, I don't, I don't feel like it's as heavy as far as therapy. Yeah. Um, Definitely medication, definitely being diagnosed with anything is a no-no. Got it. It's like... Yeah, that's interesting. Because then it's like, oh, that's like on a paper. Somebody stamped... I mean, I avoided for a long time because I was like worried about being like, I'm going to have this label now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's I interesting. think I, you... Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't hear you. No, no, no. I, I'm just saying, I, just thinking about it now, like you grow up and you think about the times where someone was saying, oh, yes, she's crazy. But the knowledge I have now working in EMS and learning about mental health, it's like, 
no, she was schizophrenic. You know, like there mm-hmm. are specific mm-hmm. telltale signs of people who have had serious mental health issues around me and just in my community growing up that were undiagnosed because of the stigma, because we don't do that. Mm. And it's, it's a, it's really a shame and it, it's harmful and it's, it's sad to see. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, I want to just say also that I, that there seems to be something universal in that like desire to invalidate yourself. Like, I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm like a fucking uh, straight white guy. Like, I've got all the privilege to be whatever I want in the world and, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, and I would just use that itself to be like, I don't have any fucking real problems. People like me don't get problems. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. And uh, I don't do anyone any favors by not by doing that. Like, I, I, something I think a lot and that that schizophrenic comment is so fucking good. I, I still say the word crazy often because i like it and it just it's i i it makes me laugh i like to use it for myself whatever Mm. but i think it speaks to uh, this this issue commonly uh with mental health where we just go it would be like saying like it would be like if you broke your foot saying like oh that person's broken what do you mean they're broken they're yeah they're just broken Mm. like no their foot's broken or their hand's broken like there's a specific thing that we can look at and has a specific set of uh challenges to deal with but like other challenges you don't have to deal with and it it, by being specific about what the thing is like schizophrenia is an interesting example i was talking with somebody the other day about schizophrenia stuff and and we were noting how there's this um like one common thing i've heard from people who had family members who are schizophrenic you know totally unrelated to each other was like this thing involving windows like either Mm -hmm. covering up all their windows or like putting something like stuff on the windows Mm -hmm. and and things. And and I was like, that's so interesting that something that seems so um, abstract, like they're crazy, like a mental thing has a very specific behavior that happens with it. And there's great power in seeing that because yeah, then I really think this as like a metaphor for personal growth too, is even like, once I can name and see the shape of a fear or a problem, it's no longer that scary. It's now it's just like, it's not really a a fear in the dark now. It's just a set of circumstances to figure out how to overcome. It's not like this murky thing of just like, oh, crazy. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. impossible. So I know I think that you're, you're totally right that there is, you really just, uh, we're all just like kind of shooting ourselves in the foot by like instinctively, anything that we do to avoid acknowledging the issue. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And I think fear plays a huge, huge part in why the African-American community doesn't seek out that type of help. Um, And some of, some of it is warranted. We haven't had the best (laughs) relationship with, with doctors and and people that have, you know, so like when you look back, and you and you follow it there are reasons as to why um there's hesitation there but it growth is always important you always have to to look forward and figure out what works for you and i think that's yeah. what the new generation is doing it's like okay i hear what my parents are saying i hear we have to be cautious in this world because we still have to be cautious in this world no matter what 
but yeah. I need to do something. I need to better myself. And I, it's, I think that's the, the path that we need to be on. Well, so since you got that, that diagnosis, um, and tell me a little more about that. You said, so your primary care physician, did they refer you to a psychiatrist or did they just, were they just like, I think this will help you or how, how is that? Yeah. So I just sat down in her office and, you know, answered, I don't know if it's like a worldwide generic kind of questionnaire or it's like one through 10 kind of thing. How do you feel? Mm -hmm. In this way, it, it, it must be because I did one of those for like ADHD or something. I did some worksheets or when I first yeah. saw my, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, so it was just something as simple as that. It maybe took about seven minutes and she, so it was her, her assistant that did it. And then the, the doctor came in and she's like, well, yeah, according to your answers, I, I think that you have anxiety and we're just going to prescribe you this. Um, and it felt a little too easy in a way. Yeah. And like that didn't help. That didn't help my guilt at all because it was like, how right. you don't even know me. You don't even know what I'm actually going yep. through. How do you know I need this? You know, it was yep. it was hard to to battle that within myself. I, I think that uh, that's so valid. And it's like it really does. It's good and bad. It's like, mm hmm kind of nice on some level that there is access to these things but i mean i feel i saw my dad over prescribed like crazy i think i see a lot of people i mean t it's like antibiotics it's like do you really need to take antibiotics because it's mm. it's making super flu bugs and we're all gonna you know right. living in like i am legend or something because but um <laughs> like just watched that the other day so it's in my head um but like uh but it's like that where it's it does then become incumbent on us individually which can be a tough ask of like quote unquote crazy people <laughs> to right. to like check in with themselves when you when you don't have the training. Like we're not doctors. We just have to read a lot online and pay attention to how we feel. So did you so you started on can I ask what anxiety medication they put you on? Oh goodness. I cannot think of the name of it right now. Uh Visteral? Visteral. Oh, I don't know that one. Maybe. Visteral. Yeah, something I and could it, take as needed, um, because at that time in it. my life, it was just I just kept having random bursts of it that I couldn't come back from. So yeah. when and if I needed it, I could take it because I wasn't comfortable being on something that I had to take every day. Um, yeah. So that's what she prescribed at that time. Um, and I at that time in my life, I was was I still was, did I start school yet? I think I was. Um, starting my first semester of college during that time as well. So that was also having a huge impact on how I was handling everything as well. Um, just trying mm -hmm. to balance my time and yeah, it was, it was, it did was it hard. help? Um, yes, it did help. I think it's hard. I, I hesitate on that just because it, it is a little bit of a blur. That whole time in my yeah. life is a little bit of a blur, um, especially with just the dissociation that I didn't realize I was doing until I started therapy. And that's been super mm. helpful to, like you say, put a name to it. Um, but is this, this is, uh, so this is college. Were you like partying and stuff too? No, not at all. I didn't, I had no desire to, to do any of that, but I was working night shift and going to school during the day. Yeah. 
So just still the kind of <laughs> no sleep, yeah. not taking care of myself. Right. But did, I'm just curious because of the self-medicating aspect of you, uh, you didn't fall into that, like using, drinking a lot or anything like that. No, no, um, it wasn't, it wasn't drinking. No, I think once my, once everything happened, um, once I lost my grandmother, my mother, and then, well, really after my mother is when everything kind of just imploded upon itself. Um, Mm. and I, I'm all for using, um, marijuana for medical reasons and i'm all for recreational marijuana you know whatever whatever floats your boat um but i think i got to the point where i was using it to not have to be a part of reality anymore um and that's that's where my self-medication thing came in yeah the more i could numb the more i could not have to feel anything was was where i wanted to be and that was pretty, that was like fairly recent then, because that was, that's like, so because, so college is when you first get exposed to some kind of, do you still take anxiety medication or did you stop or like, you know, how did you, because you mentioned you started taking antidepressants at one point too. Right. Um, I'm no longer taking the anxiety medicine. I, I have it just in case, yeah. um, but I think I just needed it for that time period in my life because I yeah. was just so all over the place. Um, yeah. And that's another huge, huge lesson that I've, that I've taken away from this is just like, it doesn't have to be a permanent thing because that was one of my fears. Like, I don't want to get on medication and have to be on medication for the rest of my life. Um, and that's something I've had to battle with because I'm now taking antidepressants. So I, I don't, I don't know mm. when and if I'll be able to ever stop that. But at least with the anxiety medicine, I did need it for a period and then I no longer needed it. Um, how, did, how did you end up? Um, I totally appreciate that. I think I do think some things are like that. And uh, I always feel like anti-anxiety medications are one of those things that uh, you, sh- you got to moderate for sure. You're, you pay attention. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm the reason I'm hesitant now in the midst of that sentence is because I also have the attitude I don't I don't like the idea of having something I'm going to take every day or, or you know where maybe without end it just makes me feel weird or, or something on out of like I don't know you know what I mean if there was like an apocalypse and I couldn't get medicine anymore like do I just have to yeah but you're like the world would be so nuts at that point that it wouldn't matter anyway um all my ADHD <laughs> would actually be probably really really helpful but um but like. But I, 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 sorry, the hesitation was just because literally, like yesterday, I, you know, see my psychiatrist and realized like I was having these bad episodes, and she was like, "Did you take your medicine at this time on those days?" And I'd be like, "No," you know, and I realized like, "Oh wow, that's probably mm. very connected." And at least I have to experiment for a while, trusting this, I this experiment with my doctor and myself that's not been running that long of going like, "Okay, I'm gonna." I'm going to do my job and just take it at the right times and see if that helps balance. But for sure, I don't know, like I've taken Xanax and some anxiety stuff in the past. And uh, I mean, I took a Xanax the first time I think I took Xanax. I was like, I felt like buzzed. I was like, I don't know how people could take this every day. Like it felt like t- drinking a couple beers or something to me. Mm. And 
Um, and I think that really speaks to also how it affects everyone differently. And like right. often, like if you really need it, like I take Adderall, which is just amphet- amphetamine. It's like speed, but it doesn't, it does mm-hmm. the, it doesn't feel that way for me ever. I've known friends, even family who's tried it and they like, their heart goes crazy and they're like, this is too much. So it really does speak to like paying attention to if it's right for you and stay in touch with that. When did, um, how yeah, did you start? Uh, are I you still taking antidepressants? How'd you end up on antidepressants? Yeah. So after my mother died is when I was, um, diagnosed with depression. Um, and that is when I was given Effexor. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Effexor, I believe. Um, Google it while we're talking. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. I actually had to get off of it. Um, I remember going into my therapist's office and telling her that my primary care had put me on Effexor. And she was immediately just like, no, 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 no. You don't need to be on really? this medicine. Yeah. Wow. Um, and That's an intense reaction. It, that was a little scary, honestly, because I, <laughs> I trust her, her opinion so much. So to walk in to have her have this moment of just like fear, she was like, just be very careful if you ever try to come off of it because weaning off of this medicine is just really bad. Um, I ended up coming off of it. It made me way too numb. It took away all of my emotions. I was already numb. Um, but then when I got on the Effexor, it was just... I felt nothing. I felt oh. nothing. I remember having a moment where I was, like I said, I worked night shift and I would often catch the sunrise. And that would be like my favorite part of the shift. And I remember being on the Effexor and seeing the sunrise and just being like, meh. And oh. I think that was the moment I knew. Like, I was like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. This has always been something that I've loved. Like, why am I not feeling warm and and just like yeah. awed by this beauty and I, that was the moment i realized okay this is this medicine is not for me and then i was wow. on um lexapro mm. and i had an allergic reaction to that it just it made me swollen Whoa. Uh, yeah, crazy. yeah and it just something and I don't, I don't know why, but I, I, now I'm on Wellbutrin. Um, How's that for you? What was that? How is that for you? Well, Wellbutrin is, it's working. I like that. I like that I felt more like myself after I took it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it brought me back to a place of at least, even if I didn't get out of the bed, that day i at least had the thought to get out of the bed that day and then maybe the next day i could do it you know it just it gave me the the possibility to try to do things again yeah so so far it's it's working well but i i do still struggle with the daily i don't want to be on medication for the rest of my life um how how long have you been is this like a fairly recent uh foray into trying out these medications and stuff like that how long have you yes. been there for? Yeah, it's very recent. I got on my Wellbutrin two weeks before I moved here, and I've been here for three months. So mm. four or five months I've been on it. Yeah. Um, new. It's new. It is. It's very new. It's very new. Did you, did you notice any 
like did you notice any big differences like right away that you were like um or is are you still in a phase of like all right well i'm gonna have faith and try this out but i don't know about this you know i noticed i noticed differences immediately just in my energy level just Mm -hmm. in in my desire to do anything because i just Mm. i wasn't i had no desire to do anything and i i had finally gotten to a place where it was uncomfortable yeah so when i did finally take the wellbutrin and i had that little burst of energy or even just the thought to eat and take a shower then i was like okay this is this is good yeah. And I have to remind myself that I do. Yeah. I have to remind myself that this is something that's helping me. Yeah. And then there's another voice in the back of my head that's just like, well, are you depressed or are you just sad because your mom died? Right. And I have to battle with that. And yes. I, 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 you know, that's interesting you say that because I think that's important to honor also. Like, it's a perfectly normal response to be devastated by something like that you know mm-hmm. by grief i um something that really struck me i i think about since uh since he said it when i had my friend nick on the uh podcast who is the the only professional i've had on the podcast who works with trauma uh you know a lot in various populations but um veterans are one of the ones who works with a lot too it's this is dark this is like a dark take on it but he he was saying uh, with soldiers like who were in battle or who killed an enemy soldier or something like that or been you know that like everybody who goes through something traumatic um, has PTSD quote unquote symptoms everybody um, the thing when they diagnose it and are like is when it doesn't stop or doesn't go away after a certain amount of like quote you know quote unquote appropriate time. Mm. And I think that that is the, uh, I don't know what that line is. I don't know where that's supposed to be. And I, I do think I, I, I would, I'm inclined to say that's of course different for everyone, how everyone processes and everything. Right. But, um, but that, that is the, the difference is like, I think the negotiation you say you're having with yourself is like totally correct. Like saying, this is hard. This is hor- horrible. Yeah. And, my body like it doesn't even make sense to your animal body like being like what the fuck is going on mm-hmm. um and i i do think i guess that's a good question then at the end of that is for you personally what was it um did it just just not end like after what amount of time were you like i think i might need to see someone cuz i also think sort of like the ptsd thing i think some of us might get kicked into this appropriate response and then for whatever reason, it's just like the loop doesn't close. Mm. Your body just goes like, no, this is my new self. This is my new response. And that's why maybe some of us need help getting back to our quote unquote, or, or let's not say back to move forward to like a sense of ourself as this new in this new world mm-hmm. that feels like the self that we've always been. I mean, the, the, to me, that's the dissociation feeling has been really scary to face and go like, I don't feel like me. And I don't know why I'd like to feel like me again. Yeah. Yeah. I I started to have this, this terrible mantra of just like, 
So it started as no one will ever love me as much as my mother did. Mm. And that is that is true to a fact, right? Um, but then it turned into no one loves me. Mm-hmm. And it was a really dark kind of time period in my life. Um, and I think it was for a few weeks before I finally went and got help because it just started to just become darker and darker. And, well, if no one loves you, then why are you here kind of thing? Mm. Um, so that was that was the moment I knew I needed to get help. Um, yeah. Did that, has that, um, has that changed at all? Uh, I mean, it gave me so many thoughts that, I mean, one, it's just very poetic. It's, it's, uh, like, like love left the world for you, like with, Mm. with your mom, you know, and that's like, that's, that's what I, that seemed to be like the message that you were true self received. And that's beautiful in a lot of ways and very, very hard to face. You said this thing that you said, if no one's going to love me, then what's the what's the point of this world or whatever? Has that do you have a different thought about that now or what is that? I don't know. I'm just curious if how that you know, you had that thought, like, where are you at with that now? What do you think about that idea at this point? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I ended up speaking to it, uh, speaking about it to my therapist. Um, just because it was like a, it was a broken record in my head at one point. It was mm-hmm. all I was thinking about every day is, you know, no one loves me. My mom is not here. So that I'll never receive that type of love anymore. And it was just something I couldn't, couldn't shut up. So I, I spoke to my therapist about it and we spoke about just looking at it differently, that it's an honor to have received such such love from someone in that um she knows that for me one of my one of my big life goals is is to be a mother so what she said to me was no you'll never experience that type of love before again rather but one day you will be a mother and you'll be able to give that love to someone yeah. and and that was really really helpful for me um it's it's the idea of of gaining that love again in a different form, but I will be able to right. receive it and give it and be a part of it again one day. Yeah, I think it's interesting to acknowledge that, like, of course that love is gone because it could only ever have been between you and that person. That's the only way that love has ever and existed, you know? That's not the same love, even a very similar mother would give a very similar child. I think that's like the the beauty and tragedy of love is it is completely singular, the experience of it. Mm. So when it, when one goes away, then it, you know, there's this part of you that is correct. Like that is, that one's never coming back. But I think you're also correct and your doctor's correct. Like this, us conflating that as being like, that means that it, that love is gone forever is, of course, silly. Like, love can't go, love's infinite. It just is there. Right. But also that, like, 
I, I still think of this thing a lot that somebody said uh, on the, I think Mitchell's that I think about the time about like he's not afraid of dying because he what he's not afraid of the time before he was born, like that it just means he'll mm-hmm. go to wherever that was and he knows that he wasn't in fear and pain before and right. I, so whatever it is, and I kind of think that's a nice thought about the life cycles of anything that like the there's a feeling once you've gained a, a new love in your life of this tragedy when it goes away, that's just because we can only think in like three, three dimensions. You know, that's just because we can only think of time one way, but it's like, we don't grieve for the love we don't have yet. You know, we're just happy when it arrives. Mm. And I don't know, there's something right. in that thought that you were, that, that you sparked that was like, it's kind of nice to think, I don't know. I've never thought that before, but that, there's we can all live with this sort of quiet sort of grateful anticipation of like the loves that we are yet to have you know yeah uh, yeah. sort of the way you would be grateful for the loves that you did have you know know, yeah it it helped it helped for sure i i still would have moments where i would think about no one loving me as much as my mother did and i still have those moments right but i've I've tried to just put a more grateful spin on it, just have that feeling, but then try to immediately come behind it and be like, but I'm so grateful that I got yeah. to have her love. How do you feel about the ideas of like self-love and like that term and, and, and I don't know, how do you interact with that idea? I think that it's important. First of all, and I, it's like, that's such a silly thing to say almost, but you run into so many people who don't love themselves and it's just like, do even within doing the simplest things, like make sure you drink enough water today, you know, and, and by doing that, you love yourself. I think it's just super important to find out what it means for you to show yourself love. That means watching your favorite show, do that. That means making sure you keep up with your water intake or you take your dog for a walk. Or mm. I think it's important to define self-love for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, and again, and I'm, I want to ask a question, but you're at any time able to be like, I don't want to talk about that or I don't want to get. Oh, down, yeah, no, no, no. Totally, any, anything. But I'm just, I was wondering like, were those the kinds of things when you think of like the love that your mom gave you, like were those the kinds of things, you know, like getting you a snack, getting you water, like, you know, little things like that. Or like I'm, what defines that love that you miss and that you are worried about not having again? Um. Well, yes, my mom would do things like that. Like, give me snacks and water and things like that but she was she was more so like a a tough love type of person so I don't Mm. exactly think of flowers and cuddly things when I think of my mother she was she was a badass you know she was like I said wheelchair in her mid-20s with two children like she had she had no option but to be tough and get through things um so when I when I think about the loss the, or the the love that I have lost from her, 
I think about just like not having the answers to anything anymore because mm. she was the person that gave you advice whether you wanted it or not. Um, yeah. You know, any of my friends knew if they even said anything about a possible problem in her direction, they were going to get sat down and be like, well, here's what you need to do. And here's how I mm-hmm. feel about it. And, you know, always with love, always with love. Um, yeah. So does she, does she still talk to you? You know what I mean? I I don't I don't I don't even mean I to be so spooky so. about it. You know, like I mean, my my grandpa. No, 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 no. I do feel like spooky, but you know what I mean. Like, I think of my grandpa a lot in the way that you just described. Like, he still talks to me because of the things that he said to me then. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, like that I that yeah, I like agree to. That I yeah. feel like I have had so many conversations and so many lectures and speeches that it is ingrained mm. within me. So I do feel yeah. like she speaks to me in that way, but I don't feel like she speaks to me in a way of like, you know, on a more spiritual kind of level, which is unfortunate because I am, I am a spiritual person and I, and I yeah. feel like I'm waiting for the moment where I hear from her. Um, hmm. And I haven't, and I don't, a thought I've had about it is maybe I, there's just too much pain there yeah. that I'm not... I'm not in a place where she could even get to me if if she could, just because there's still so much. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. It does make sense. Okay. No, it does. I, I also, okay. my, the other thought I had, and I, I'm just, I get very woo-woo also, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't mean to be, I don't know. I don't know if this is good, like enter this realm, but it feels, this is where I want to go right now. <laughs> this is where I want to feel is I, I, uh, yeah. I don't know. Based on what you said, it's like, could be the pain. But if she's like a tough love mom and like kind of helped you with guidance, I mean, maybe she just knows that's like, it's your turn that you got this, you know, that you've got all those tools. And it's like, I don't know. It might be that kind of thing where she's like, she's okay. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's making yeah. me laugh because it's like, yeah, I, don't know, I could I just totally think about, see that. I could totally see her. I don't know. That It's just death is so fucking hard it's so infinite it's so like impossible because i think maybe because it forces us to look at how impossible the the existence is you're like wait wait so there you're just gonna be gone now like mm. how are you even here though i don't how are any of us here uh and uh right and the, the sort of ephemeral spiritual concepts mixed with the weirdness of like dna like you have half of the chromosomes of your mom you know like you you are we are so literally the mm. like expressions of the people before us that it's like they kind of can never fully leave because we're here. Like there's this very right. literal transmission of them that they remain in the world. I don't know. Sometimes that stuff helps me, uh, but I've had, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've had so many conversations about, death and just all the things that it means when you do die and mm. i i've experienced three different types of deaths um in my opinion as far as you know my grandmother dying in the nursing home my and I, and i wrote something about this at one point where i said that nursing home death is lonely because i just i remember her being lonely and then my mother dying in the hospital and 
I would say hospital death is scary. I, I remember my mother just being terrified. And then I, with my stepfather, he had a short battle with cancer and he made the decision to do hospice at home. And, you know, and for me, home, de- home death or hospice death is, is peaceful. You know, it's to experience all of them and, I, and really, really go into detail about each one has helped in a way because they all happened so quickly, it was hard for me to even grasp onto a single one and grieve it properly. So something that did help was sitting down and, and thinking about how they were all different and how in turn I, I reacted to it in a way. Yeah. I think that's so real. Um, well, man, we've talked for a while. Um, let me, um, I think just to keep us clicking, uh, I'll do the, uh, we'll keep going the six quick cues. Uh, What's the yeah. do I always do? So we did the first two. We we did the first two pretty good. Uh, then um, what's all? I, why do I always forget? I get like so. <laughs> do you know? Do you remember what they are? The third one is uh, <laughs> I think uh, what's, um, I think it's what what's something cheesy you... you find inspiring, oh. isn't it? Three. I, I think three? so. Yeah, I inspiring. Do you I write them down? So. I I did because I I'm always thinking ahead. Yeah, because it goes it goes those first two, and then it's cheesy but inspiring, and then it's um dark about Something you, and dark. then it's last gorgeous thing you saw. Yeah. And then wait, no, I'm missing one. Oh, I'm the I'm so bad at my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm literally gonna look this up. I'll probably maybe I'll try to I'll try to cut this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. No, fine. Um, many times have I done? Um, no, I was right. I was right. I was. Wait, no, that is all of it. Diagnose, therapy, cheesy, you find inspiring, something dark about you. Oh, yeah, I got it right. Oh, I think yeah. it's because I was making yeah, yeah. the first two one thing. No, so yes, that's right. What's something cheesy you find? Right, inspiring? we're on track. We're on track. Yes, we're doing it. Um, <laughs> let's see. Probably uh, Michelle Obama's book, and that oh. can kind of seem a little shady, but I, I don't mean it shady. I I think there were a lot of cheesy, heartfelt, just warm moments in the book that yeah. that were inspiring to me. Do you have any, was there a specific one you could, you remember that you think about? Let's see. Um, she spoke about when Obama passed the bill on gay marriage um, being legal everywhere and how they had lit up the side of the light of the White House with the rainbow colored flags. And, um, how she wasn't she wasn't allowed to go outside onto the front lawn and do that for sec- to see it for security reasons um so she ended up like sneaking out of the white house somehow and like running past all mm-hmm. the secret service um with one of her daughters and just standing outside and seeing the lights and hearing the cheers and yeah she described it much better but 
that was one of the no, little cheesy moments. Pretty good one. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Um. Well, what's something dark about you? We'll go on that. Oh, I, don't know. I worked in EMS. There, there are many a dark things about me. So the, the we, what's EMS? The, oh, my emergency medical services. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Are you still working on that? Uh, in that on that path, or what are you thinking about now? Um, so after this year, I want to finish school and, um, become a midwife. I want to deliver cool. babies, maybe one day open up my own birthing center. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. That's like, yeah, that's amazing. That's a childbirth. is a whole crazy thing. I mean, <laughs> I've I always been super interested in it. And I think, um, when I was writing, when I was writing down my experiences about the different deaths, um, one of the questions was, well, why have I had to experience so much death? This is just in one of my little manic moments where I'm just writing to myself in the universe kind of thing. Mm. And the answer that I received was, well, you wish to just be this, this force to be reckoned with in the birthing world. Like you wish to know everything about it and understand it. And one of the ways that you're going to be able to appreciate life coming into this world is to have experienced all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where that answer came from, but mm. it, uh, it's been, it's been sticking with me for yeah. a little bit. That's yeah. Thresholds coming, mm. coming in and going out. That's amazing. So interesting mm -hmm. that you're still like drawn to that. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, I'll go, um, but, uh, uh, yeah. Well, Wait, yeah, we did that. We did that. Yes. Yeah. What's yeah. the last gorgeous thing you saw? The last gorgeous thing I saw. Um, I'm going to say a, a, a sunset. Yeah, I think right. here in the Netherlands, everything is like so flat and there's no tall buildings getting in the way of anything. And there's just the place I live in. It's It's like a village and there's just farmland everywhere. And Ugh. I was cooking dinner or something the other day and looked out the window and just saw the most beautiful sunset. It was, it was gorgeous. That is cool. Cause that, that's like, you talked about those sunrises earlier and like, yeah, that's amazing. It's nice to be well, able to did, see that and like, feel that. How, why the Netherlands? How'd you end up at the Netherlands? Well, so I was, I was initially going to do Denmark because mm -hmm. I read something or I was listening to a podcast about how they were the happiest place on earth. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I could use some happy. I'm, I'm going to do that one. <laughs> um, but then I had a friend who was also trying to move to Europe around the same time as me. And um, she was thinking of the Netherlands. And uh, yeah, at that point, I just wanted to move. So yeah. I was like, yeah, why not? Sure. Let's do this. I mean, that's just so amazing to me. Like, that's the most proactive response to like. I'm having depression. It's like, well, where's the happiest place on earth? <laughs> and then literally yeah, go. Yeah, I'm going to go there. Yeah, that was. Go, going to Disneyland, you know? <laughs> right. I the think world. back on has it, it and it's has just. Has it been happy? I mean, I know you ended up in Netherlands that time, but like, how has it, how does it feel being there? It feels good. It feels really good to be here. I, I feel really proud of myself for doing this um i had you know never been on a plane before or anything of that nature i just 
I hopped on a plane and I said I wanted to to do something and I did it. So being mm-hmm. here, being around the laid back atmosphere um, of some of the people here um, has helped. And I think it's, it's just a different world. It's a different world. It's, it's completely different than anything I've ever known. And it was, I feel like it's just the shake I needed to get back into to living and not just surviving. Is it good? Is it a different world in a good way or bad or both? Both. Both. Yeah. I mean, it's good in the sense of I'm, I'm having to learn new things and there's a language barrier. So learning Dutch is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it is insane. But um, yeah. And, and, but it's good because I'll, I'll, I've had to learn a train system and it's a simple thing, yeah. but I can hop on a train and go somewhere now. And it's, it's something I learned to do. And it's just right. one of those wins for the day that I, I, I like to keep with me. Um, yeah. Like you literally, that's such a very, that's a very metaphorical one though, too. You've like learned how to navigate. You've learned how to like go out into the world, you know, on your own, on your right. own, uh, um, yeah, under your own terms or whatever. Yeah. Which has been the reason, the reason for this this trip pretty much to learn how to do things by myself again or in the first yeah. place, you know. Yeah. I'm just curious do you experience I don't know maybe it never even comes up, but are there attitudes uh are the attitudes there around like mental health and and things different at all? Do you notice that, or what's that like at all? You know, I I don't know if I can speak too much on that, honestly. Um, Everyone that I have spoken to about my journey and about why I'm here has been super receptive um, about it. And just it it immediately makes sense to them. And I don't know if that means that they're more forward thinking on mental health or if it's just I'm just happen to meet people in that circle. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm. I'm. Not, I'm honestly not too sure. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I was just curious. Yeah. Anything. Um. Well, let's do. What's let's do. Don't kill yourself. List. What do you? Yeah. Uh, what do you want to add there? You know, as you know, I I always start with coffee sandwiches and lavender soap. But add. Mm-hmm. Uh. Give me some stuff. Let's see. I'm gonna add being barefoot because I think walking Ooh. around barefoot is just awesome. Yeah. That is um, a good one. Let's see. You go like outside. You go like go to the park or something like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Feeling some warm grass or warm sand or yeah. Yeah. Um, even just as a kid, like running outside with no shoes on during the winter in the snow, just cause you know, just cause wow, kids yeah, do dumb yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, it's like quite literally feeling your attachment to the earth. It's such yeah, a, for sure. There have been good. plenty of studies about that being really help healthy for you. Really? To, yeah, they call it earthing. 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 Yeah. Wow, I've never heard that. Mm-hmm. Oh my it's, god, I'm gonna look that up. Wait, do you know yeah, more about that? I've never heard of that. I mean, I know the concept is just be outside yeah. barefoot and connect to the earth. <laughs> it's uh-huh. a super hippy dippy <laughs> kind of no, just I love idea. It. Yeah. It's just good to have mm-hmm. a name for it. I'm gonna like I'm gonna look that up. And now for you can sure. literally go to the uh like Earth Canal because you go to the canals and earth around right. the canal. 
<laughs> oh, I fucking I fucked up this whole thing with a horrible pun right at the end. Like such a nice conversation, <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> you can be an earth. Puns are always worth it. An earth facilitator. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, man, that's amazing. Well, I don't know. Thank you. This has been really nice. I feel like. Uh, thank you for joining me and for being so open and sharing this. I think it's like so valuable. Do you do you have anything? I don't know. Do you have anything you want to like? for sure say or that you you know um, yeah i don't know i just want to hand it over to you I, I might have missed something or what do you feel like let's see i don't i think the only thing i would want to say is that the whole or let me start over living in a world where you have lost a parent is really, really hard. So I think all I want to say is to anyone who had, or who is in that situation and is listening to this, that I see you and I hear you and it's, it's going to be okay. You know, you're going to figure out how to live this new life without them and it's never going to be easy but it's going to become manageable um yeah that's all yeah thank you yeah thank, thank you, you so this is this has been great i am I'm, I'm so excited that you replied back and this is cool i'm i think this is just great i don't know yeah i'm i'm gonna post this very soon but i'm this bodes well for this whole experiment. <laughs> talking, nice. to, talking to y'all. Thank you. Because I mean, I this ephemeral concept of this good bad brain community of our good bad brains. But um, yeah. But it's nice to have it be like really real for a minute, you know. And I I appreciate you and I applaud you for like making that connection, that like human connection, because it's so important. It's like, hey, we're all here. We're all doing this. Yeah, I I mean, I this is just the first one. I'm hopeful that this is a, a, a experiment that's successful because, uh, you know, the pod's been on for like almost a year now and it goes through incarnate. I'm different all the time and trying to figure out what this thing wants it wants to be. Like first it was just kind of like more just talky, interviewee, but like yeah. with some mental health thrown in. I don't know. And then I was like, should it be more spooky and do study? I was like, I think there's other things that do that better. I'm not a professional and mm. the thing that whenever i feel like not doing it anymore like what's the point that keeps it going is because people will send a message here or there like you know where you're like damn okay so there's one person that that made a difference to you and it just seems to me that that thing that these connections that we share and these shared experiences and being able to learn from each other or just find somebody else that we like resonate with them because they also are struggling and overcoming things. Mm -hmm. So important. I think that's. I think that's the thing. That's it. I think that's that's, the, it. that's it. And if we get, and I if this good bad brain thing, if my good bad brain, hopefully people will read that and will read it in first person, so they know it's about their good bad brains. Obviously, it comes right. through my lens because that's the only one I got. But this has been wonderful right. to have you come and, I you know I'm hoping it. Uh, I'll get better and better at it. But it's like. I will add in and I'll ask questions. But when you're, this is about your good, bad brain. 
I don't know. And that right. just really excites me to like, thank you. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for taking the reins today. That's great. This is great. Thank you for having me. Truly, truly. All right. Thank you guys for being here for this 50th fucking episode. Thank you, Lindsey Cromwell, for doing this. Thank you, Coda, for helping me make this theme song. If you get something out of the pod, check out patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain. Throw a couple bucks at it. Or just leave us a nice review. Those five-star reviews help the pod out a lot. Helps it grow. Thanks a lot. Tell your friends. And write me, mygoodbadbrain at gmail.com if you want to be considered. Thank you. Okay, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.